This episode is sponsored by Rulin Group. There are four gifts I've received over the years that really stood out, and the common link between all of them is each one was sourced through the Ruling Group. If you want to deliver amazing gifts that capture people's attention, go to GiversEdge.com to learn more. Hey, it's Ian Altman. On this episode, we're joined by Shama Hyder. Now, Shama is one of these top 30 under 30. She's the founder and CEO of an award-winning agency, the Marketing Zen Group. She's written a couple of best-selling books, um, including The Zen of Social Media Marketing, which now is in its fourth edition, and Momentum, How to Propel Your Marketing and Transform Your Brand in the Digital Age. We're going to talk about the changing landscape of digital marketing. We're going to talk about the idea of frequency, how much is the right amount to be present on social media, as well as consistency, and think about your goals when it comes to customer service. And finally, we're going to talk about the five key principles that she teaches in her latest book, Momentum. There's a lot of great information here. Here's my interview with Shama Hyder. Shama Hyder, welcome to the show. Ian, thank you so much for having me. You know, I'm excited to talk to you because I know that you speak all around the world. You talk to a lot of audiences about marketing and digital PR. And oftentimes, I'm sure you see things that people do right and things that maybe people used to do that they shouldn't be doing anymore. So what are some of the biggest gaffes or mistakes that you see people doing today that just don't work anymore? You know, I think the biggest mistake is, is, it's funny, it's a word that I think is so unsexy in marketing, but crucial, right? And the biggest mistake I see people making is not being consistent. That's just, it's, it's so funny because we live in this world of tools, um, you know, and people like to use like Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn and, and sort of, they see it as sort of using these tools rather than looking at it as this is the ecosystem we live in. And what's funny is you just, I we hear this a lot too. Well, I tried this, you know, I tried this for, boy, how many months? I was on Twitter for six months. You look it up, they've got six tweets. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, well, it just didn't. So it's just so important that no matter what you do, what strategy you employ, that you are consistent in it because that's the only way to sort of, you know, create that visibility and, and uh, cut through the noise. So metaphorically, it's like people saying, oh, I tried dating. I went to a bar and what'd you do? Well, I sat in the corner facing the wall. All right. Well, it's probably not going to work so well. Yeah. Or, you know, yeah, I tried dating. And by that, they mean like, yeah, I went out on a date once. You yeah, know? <laughs> exactly. And to your point, if you've been on Twitter for six months and you've had six tweets, and by the way, all six tweets are, how come nobody likes me? You're probably not going to attract a big crowd. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, this consistency thing is so important because I think people under this sort of uh, false um, right, belief that, hey, you know, if I, if I do something because it's instant, right? Facebook, the message went out instantly. Twitter, sure. like all these things are, I, I can get my message out there within seconds that the response should be just as immediate. You, know? you <laughs> and, mean it, it isn't? <laughs> and it isn't. I mean, you may get a response, but to see that turn into business, right? That yep. takes time. Um, and I'm just amazed at how many people, it's like planning a, uh, you know, here's another I guess, metaphor for you, but like planting a tree or planting a little plant, and you put the seeds in, and then you keep digging up the seeds, or you, you just 
Yep. Or you're just, you're not putting water on it and you're like, man, nothing's going here. Yeah. I think that metaphor of not watering it is the key because people will plant a seed with an idea and then they just leave it out there and hope that it's going to grow on its own without any care. And obviously it's not going to happen. So one of the questions that I know that a lot of people have is, so if consistency is important, what's the right frequency? So if someone's active on Twitter, if they're active on Facebook, what does that mean? What's the right frequency and what kind of things should people be doing? Yeah, you know, the right frequency depends on so many things. I'll say what's more important even is, is consistency with, with um, quality, right? Um, so if you really, honestly, if you were going to do something great and you were blogging just once a week, but it was such a well thought out post, I would say that's better than, you know, posting six times a week and it's all sort of mediocre. So, so much of this depends on your goals too. What are you trying to accomplish? What are you trying to do with it? I mean, I think it's also consistency in channels. Um, let's take Seth Godin, for example, right? Huge marketer, very big name in, in the space, um, early mover in the digital marketing space, tons of books. And he's not on Twitter. There's like a Seth's blog feed. <laughs> you know, he's really not on social but he blogs and he blogs every single day, every sometimes single day. twice a day, yeah. which is, you know, to me, that's, he's consistent in what he does. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's, you, he's got one platform, he knows yeah. his audience and that's what he consistently delivers on. Yeah. And you know what is funny? I remember when I had Seth on the show, there were a couple times during our discussion where I caught myself forgetting that I was the host interviewing him and it was like, Wow. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. I'm supposed to respond, not just Wait wow. A second. I'm, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not just a spectator here. Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, but but he's a perfect example of he's picked a channel and he excels in that channel. So so what's your recommendation to people who say, oh, well, I have to be on every platform? Again, it depends on your goals, right? If you're, for example, you're using it for customer service. Um, you're using it for sort of broader visibility, whatever it is, yet then you might have to look at multiple channels. I think then it also comes down to your audience. Where is your audience and what do they expect? Yeah. Well, and I think that's something that, you know, Jay Bear talks about. Um, uh, presumably you're familiar with Jay and Jay, Jay and I are friends. Yeah. Yes. So, so, <laughs> Jay, so Jay and I, Jay and I have spoken about this where Jay says, look, if your customer from a customer service standpoint is on a certain channel, and you're not there, it's like having, in, in other words, if you have a presence, let's say, on Twitter, but you don't monitor it, it's like not answering your hotline when someone calls. Oh, totally, you know, and, and the thing is, the consumer expectations are so different, so you have to understand what your audience expects. Um, it's funny, most people, when they go to Twitter and mention a brand, expect a brand to, to respond. Like, our our bar as consumers has changed, and as marketers, we have to you know, rise to meet that bar. So let's talk about that a little bit. So talk about how the landscape has changed and what used to be acceptable for a response time and what people's expectations are today. Yeah, you know, it's amazing how much that has changed. I mean, you think about all the way early days, right? We would people Remember, people were excited when they had a website. Like if <laughs> she's like, should we get one of these newfangled website things? And that was, you know, very avant-garde. And before that, it was a toll-free number. Remember, it was like companies who had a toll-free number. Like that so was Do you have range. a toll-free number? No, we yeah. don't. Oh, how oh, can you yeah. be relevant without a toll-free number? Now, who cares about toll-free? Yeah, yeah but it's funny because that used to be a thing, right? Well, you, you know, and like companies used to brag about it. Oh, and our toll-free number is. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's expected now. And then 
from that, of course, we went to the websites thing, and then it was email. Well, I have, I've got an email address, you know, MSN, Hotmail, whatever it was yeah. back in the day. And, of course, as, as things have progressed, we, we now have more platforms. We have no, more options. And uh, it's really, again, about knowing your audience. And this is not to say that you have to use every platform across the board. It's that you have to be strategic and set very clear expectations. Even the huge companies, like, you know, look at American Airlines, look at these, a lot of Fortune 500 companies. If they're using a channel for customer service, it says, we answer here 8 to 5. You know, yeah. after this, you go here. So I think it's also important to be able to direct people so they know what to expect. Um, yeah. Yeah, I have. I, yeah, I'm often impressed. I mean, obviously, I, I travel a lot as well, and there's times where I remember I was I was sitting at a Hertz facility, and I've got Hertz Gold and all this, and there's a line at the gold desk, and they didn't have cars or whatever, and I tweeted something saying it's ridiculous. As a gold customer, I've been sitting here for ten minutes waiting for a car, and I got a response from Hertz in like two minutes. That said, oh, please, you know, please go around to this window and so and so is waiting for you. And I was like, wow, that's that's pretty good. Now, by the way, it may have been the only time in history they've ever done that, but it worked out well for me. <laughs> yeah, I bet. But, you know, it, it happens. I was speaking of American Airlines. Um, I left my Kindle on the plane and lost and found is, you know, where it's, <laughs> it's notoriously hard to get a hold of. Anyway, so I tweeted them and they asked for my information in a DM. They send them my seat number, blah, blah, blah. You know, within 30 minutes, I got a call. Some guy shipped it to me um, via FedEx. I had it three days later. That's and it's great. Just, I just don't think that would have happened had it not been that for the platform. But, of course, on the business marketer side, now, of course, not everyone's a Fortune 500. Not everyone has that level of expectation from their um, audiences. But it is about providing that value, whether it's customer service, whether it's content, whether it's, you know, however, whatever your goals are for using it. Yep. No, and I think that's key. So what's the, what's the in, in let's say, in a B2B space, what's the expectation that customers have today in terms of responsiveness? You know, the, the expectations are that you will be responsive in, in terms of the um, ground rules you've set up, right? And so I think, again, this is why it's so important to set up those expectations. Because if you say, let's say someone fills out a fo- contact form and it says, hey, we'll get back you within 24 hours, then that's the expectation you've set. Sure. But, um, you know, when you don't see anything, people do expect a response sooner than later. And what that sooner looks like is different for every person, Ian. I'm amazed at how fast the world moves. I mean, I remember, you know, my first book, The Zen of Social Media Marketing, um, is now going into its fourth edition next week. Um, And what's so funny is when I think right when the iPad came out a couple of years ago, I got an email from someone and they emailed me and said, you know, you the iPads out, uh, you got the iPad yesterday. I'm really excited. I'm just bummed that I can't read your book on it, you know. <laughs> and I was like, wait a second, this guy just got this yesterday. Like it was released yesterday, and he's already expecting the book to be iPad ready. Yeah. Um, so I, I, you know, it's <laughs> you know what? It's, it was, it's a funny thing. And by the way, I also think that when you're responsive. Sometimes it surprises and delights people. I know that we have we have an email account set up so people can send in they can they can go on our website and post any question, any um, any issue they have, and they get a response. And I actually monitor that. And if it's a question related to sales strategy, 
often respond right away, and you'd be amazed at the response I get from people. It's like, oh, my God, I can't believe Ian actually responded himself and gave me great advice. And it's like, I live for that stuff. I mean, for me, it's like it's fun that I get to actually engage at that level with somebody I haven't met before. And I always think it's interesting how many brands don't do that and say, oh, no, 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 you know, I, I have to have a customer service person do it or we, we, we stick into this queue. And, of course, as volume increases, it gets harder to do that. But I think it's when, when we take the time to do that in any business, it makes an impression for our customer that says, wow, these people are responsive. It totally does. I mean, again, you're setting that expectation. You're setting that tone. And you're right. People are so pleased. I mean, I get asked all the time, do you actually respond to your – and I do. I yeah. respond to tweets. I look at those things. I respond You know, to – I try to do you know, um, public platforms to answer questions uh, just because of how many questions I get. But, yeah, I mean, I, I try to respond to as many things as possible. Yeah. Um, and people are surprised because, like, oh, is this your staff? I'm like, no, it's me. I mean, if it's our company account, if it's Marketing Zen, then, yes, it's staff. But if it's me at Shema, that's me. Yep. Yeah, I think that's a, a beautiful thing, that level of engagement. And plus, it helps us learn more through that interaction with our clients directly. So I think it's a it's a great thing. Now, in, in your latest book, Momentum, you talk about five key principles that you teach. So let's walk people through those because I think it's going to be very enlightening for people on strategies and what they should be looking at and what maybe, they, maybe they're not doing today when it comes to their marketing. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm happy to talk about that. And it's funny because, you know, even why I wrote Momentum is, is a funny story. When I wrote Zen, right, it was based on a need, a very specific need of people wanting to understand how to use social media, kind of the tactical. And there were no other books <laughs> on this topic that were actually tactical. There was one other book that was very theoretical. And I, so I, I wrote it based on demand. And then you know what happens when you write a good book in terms of that it does well. People immediately ask you, when's your next book? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, the, as, as an author with two books, I can totally relate. <laughs> right? So, it's just, so I'm sure like, it's, it's, that's the first question people want to know. Okay, your book did well. And you're, you know, now you, you've proven your, your medal. So when's the next book? And I didn't want to do that. So I waited years. I mean, that's longer than most authors wait to put out you know, their second book if the first one's successful. And it was because I just felt like I didn't have anything new to say that wasn't being said and and already on the shelves in a different way, right? So I was like, I want to wait till I, again, there's a market demand for something that I can fulfill. And of course, about four or five years later, now I'm looking around and then I'm going, boy, you know, the things have changed. People get that this is, you know, you don't have to convince them for social anymore. They get it. They get the importance. Now the question is, they're overwhelmed. How do they make sense of this? How do they get better ROI from this? You know, how do they structure this better? How do they market in the digital age, not just digital marketing? And there's yep. a difference. So that being said, I was like, all right, now it's time for a book because no one's talking about these things. Hence, Momentum was born. And hence, these five principles of how to market in the digital age, starting everything from you know, agility with analytics through integration, um, cross-pollination, content curation. Um, you know, feel free to ask me if there's anything specific you'd like me to dig into. Let's kind of walk through at a high level. And it's something, obviously, I encourage people to, to get the book. I mean, you've, you, as, as you said, you've, you've proven your mettle and obviously um, created amazing content. But let's, let's just walk through at a high level, this idea of agility through analytics. So what do you mean by that? 
what I mean by that is don't have sacred cows. I mean, you know, we've all dealt with that client. That's like, I want the logo to be red because I like red. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, I want this to be X, Y, Z because I just, so it's, 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 the idea is not to be subjective, but look at the data that's available to you and make decisions based on that because you'll make smarter decisions for money, right? For more money. Uh, It's interesting you say that. So I I write for Forbes and for Inc. And in Inc., we actually A-B test every single title. So every headline gets A-B tested. So you always submit your article with multiple headlines and I would say more than 70% of the time, the B headline, meaning the one that we thought would be less effective, wins. And so, you know, we're, you know you're talking about experienced authors. I mean, I've, I've written hundreds and hundreds of articles. I'm dealing with editors who have reviewed thousands and thousands of articles. And we agree, okay, here's the A headline, but we'll put this B headline in just in case. And then they A-B test it, and the B headline wins 70% of the time. Yeah, it's funny, you know, it's like it's you might think something and sometimes you may write there is something for intuition, but you do have to test these things and even you know people think data and big data and it's not relegated to corporations. Even Google Analytics, for example, Ian, so simple. Looking at your bounce rate can tell you so much. If your bounce rate is 70% or higher, right? And certain businesses I will say that makes, you know, that might work. But for most businesses, if your bounce rate is 70% or higher, it's telling you two things. One, that your website's either not converting, that means seven out of ten people who come to your site are not, you know, it's it's not for them. Two, the traffic that you are sending to your site, right, is not is not the right traffic. The people are, that are visiting are not your people. That's not your audience. And so even things like this can help you make so many better decisions. And I love how you mentioned that because so many people get focused on the metrics of how many people. Uh, as opposed to, are you attracting the right people? So I've, I've got a client of mine where when it comes to content marketing, I'll say, look, let's create this article. I think it's going to create traction for you. And it's funny because they'll they'll create the content, they'll put it out there, and then the marketing team will say, oh, you know, this this article didn't do very well. There were only like 300 views of it. But they get 20 leads because those 300 people are their exact sweet spot. As opposed to, they'll create another article that might get tens of thousands of views in the first week, but it's kind of a general purpose thing that's kind of a fun thing, but they're not really attracting their ideal client. And so the metrics become um, very much misleading. So, which kind of leads to this, the second principle that you teach about customer focus, because I'm sure there's, there's a tie in there. Yeah, so customer focus, you know, it's it's funny. It's not the customer focus someone thinks about. It's not the customer focus of like, oh, you know, the customer is always right or put the customer first. No, this is different. This is more about how you build your brand. So the old way of building your brand was very much company-centric. What does our brand say about us? What, you know, what do we stand for? That was sort of the big thing. It's very Mad Men era-esque, right? Like what, what are our brand values? Now the question really needs to be, what does doing business with us allow our customers to say about their personal brand? Yep. Yeah. As, as Seth Godin says, people like us do things like this. So it's, it's getting people to identify and also that focus. It's, it's interesting. One of, one of the things that, that I focus a lot on with, with organizations is understanding what problems you solve for your customer. So instead of saying, here's the, here's the service we offer, what you want to say is, here are the type of customer challenges that we solve. 
And the undertone is with these services we offer, but really it's much easier for the customer to say, yes, I'm experiencing that situation than it is for the customer to say, oh, that sounds like an interesting service. Why do I need it? Oh, absolutely. You know, it's funny, even when, even with our company, you know, people say, what do you do? And they say, look, what we do is different than how we do it, right? You can't confuse the two. So it's funny because the how is actually what we do, digital marketing, you know, web marketing, digital PR, that's the how. The what is, you know, we work a lot with fast growing startups or middle, uh, privately held middle market companies. And that's more, you know, who want to be, who are successful and want to be recognized industry thought leaders, right? Or they want to be household names. Like they want to get to the pinnacle. And, and that's the what. The how is, <laughs> is the digital side of things. And so, yeah, it's, it's absolutely the same thing. And, you know, Ian, I did my thesis on Twitter when it had a few thousand users. I'm very like, this a very long time ago. And my thesis was about why people even use social media, why we even engage. And what I found was shocking and cool at the same time. And it wasn't that we do it to connect with other people or even for customer service with, with companies, all that's a byproduct. The primary reason people even use social media is to showcase their own identity. Yeah. Right, showcase their own identity. And that's huge. That doesn't mean we're a narcissistic, narcissistic society. All that means is this is how we evolve as human beings. And now we just do it, you know, with sort of a digital lens. Yeah. I think that notion of it's just, you know, digital is another channel. It's another means of communication. Um, my friend Chris Brogan has a talk where he says, yeah, he says, you know, you know, so many years ago, Somebody walked into a room and it wasn't about Twitter and it wasn't about Facebook. They said, dude, you got to check out this new thing. It's called phone. And you don't have to be in <laughs> yeah. the same place. You can actually call somebody up. Well, guess what? It's the same thing today when it comes to, um, when it, when it comes to social, which is it's just a different channel that your customers communicate in. And the natural inclination is for most businesses. Well, yeah, I, I don't need to be on that platform. Well, if your clients are there, you need to be there because I guarantee there was a business person who said, no, no, we don't need phone. We don't need email. Because the person with, with on the phone discussion said, well, they can just come in like they always have. The person on email said, well, why do they have to email us? They can just call us. And that's the evolution that I think a lot of people overlook, which is it's just another channel. And if that's the way your customers want to communicate with you, then you're doing yourself a disservice if you're not communicating that way. So talk a little bit about integration and the rest. We're going to let people get the book and figure out. But talk about integration on these on these five principles. Yeah, integration, you know, Ian, is really about a combination of digital and physical. And this goes back to the same thing. It's it's funny you know, that you mentioned that because as, as customers, when we engage with a brand or when customers engage with us, we don't think about it as like, ah, now I'm engaging with a company digitally. Now I'm doing it physically. You know, <laughs> we just want a seamless experience, but businesses still approach it as these are digital efforts. These are physical efforts. So integration is how do you integrate those two more seamlessly, focus more on the customer journey, not kind of how you see things, right? And then making sure that you're getting all the juice out of the orange, yeah. Well, and, and I think that, uh, you know, one of, one of the things that, that I look at a lot is this integration between sales and marketing. And I'm sure it's the same thing when it comes to digital versus physical, which is oftentimes if those, if the, if that messaging isn't correctly aligned, then what happens is your client gets mixed messages. 
And people say, oh, the client will figure it out. And I always say, no, they won't. What they'll do is they'll assume <laughs> they'll assume that one of the groups is lying to them because they're getting mixed information. They'll probably assume it's the salespeople. And, and someone's lying to them, so it erodes their trust. But if they get a consistent message across platforms, across media, across interactions with your, with, with your company, then they all of a sudden say, wow, this is what it's like to work with these people. I get a consistent message, and I know exactly what they stand for and how it's going to impact us as a customer. Yeah, I mean, it's you're absolutely right. When you don't give customers the, the right information or when they get conflicting information, it, the assumption is that someone's lying. Yeah, and and it's just and it's something that it sounds so obvious. Yet, yet you and I see it all the time with businesses that have no, no. This is our digital media group, and this is our this is the group that actually produces physical marketing, and this is a group that's field marketing, and this is our sales organization, and they all create their own messaging, and then they're amazed when their customers are confused and they go elsewhere. Yeah, it's like, why are they confused? <laughs> exactly. Well, it's you know, it's a classic example in the consumer space. I had ordered something online from a website, and I ordered it, and five minutes later, their order processing was shut down for the evening, which I guess these people don't understand the notion of a website, that somehow they had to shut – they couldn't take orders anymore that evening. You have to take it again in the morning, which was, like, funny because someone probably said, no, no, these are our hours, and, like – no, no. The whole idea of a website is that people could order when you're asleep, <laughs> right? But, but whatever. So I realized when I placed the order, I, 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 I got the wrong stuff. So I contact them by phone. I said, yeah, I placed this order. So you need to cancel it. Well, you have to contact the people in online. I said, well, online is closed now, which is ironic that their customer service line was open, but their online wasn't. So it's the first time I'd ever seen this. And the next day, it's like, you know, I'm calling, I'm calling. And finally, I reach somebody and says, Oh, well, if you could have contacted us three hours ago, we could have stopped the order. But now here's all the stuff you're going to have to do as a customer. And I said, guys, it doesn't work that way. Yeah, isn't that crazy? <laughs> you, know, you need a little bit better alignment. So what's the, what's the single biggest lesson that you've learned in running your business that can help other people? You know, the biggest lesson I've learned in, in, in business so far has that it's really been, and I, I'm so glad that I feel like I have that innate personality of a student and it's that you constantly have to embrace this as an evolution. I think it's when you see it as kind of one and done that you start to get behind, right? It's an evolution in every sense. Like I'm learning every single day. It's so funny. And when I started my company, I wrote the books. I never imagined, you know, that we'd grow to 30 people or that we would serve clients around the world or that the, like the books would be bestsellers, yeah. you know, because even though my expertise came from one place, I remember asking my employees like, what does net terms mean? Like, what is this guy? <laughs> like, you know, because I was 23, I, I'd never, and, and so of course I'm asking my Gen X baby boomer employees and they're like, what? they're asking like, what does that mean? You know, cause I had understood the marketing strategy piece, but I'd never run a business. I didn't, you know, so I learned so much of this sort of stuff in the trenches. <laughs> like, well, you know, but, never- I, but I think it's great that that notion of always being a student. I remember uh, the first company I started, um, I was 25. So I, was, I was 25. I started my first company. And I remember thinking to myself, I can't believe people buy soda from the office company because, wow, they're paying this much per can to put sodas in their office. And I can buy it at the store for you know, five cents a can less. So look how wasteful people are. And then I fast, <laughs> then I fast forward a year later and it's like, 
you know, anything you can get delivered to keep your focus on your business. You don't care what it costs. It's like, if you're telling me you can ship something to me and I don't have to take time out to do it, it's totally worth it. Cause you kind of, you realize that it's not about the price of the unit. It's the value of your time and the people on your team. And I just think, you know, that, that ability to learn and have that open mind is really valuable. It, it is. It absolutely is. And I think that's sort of, it's crucial in business today more than ever, right? You're always learning because the only guarantee is that there's something out there that you don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I know you've got Shoma TV and you've and obviously you've got a big social media presence. What's the best way for people to to follow you, to learn more about you and to reach out to you? you know, the best way is really to, to go to my site. It's shamahider.com, S-H-A-M-A, Hyder, H-Y-D-E-R.com. And all my social icons are there. All our content is there. So you can pick your poison as to how you'd like to connect with me. And I really do. I love hearing from listeners. I love, I love connecting with people. So whether it's LinkedIn, Facebook, what, you know, whatever floats your boat. And everybody should know if they have an opportunity to speak somewhere, they should take the opportunity. Um, I think you do a great job and provide a great message that really cuts across generations so that you've got messages that are relevant for millennials through you know, baby boomers who are all trying to figure out how to better get um, get the optimal results from their marketing, whether it be digital or physical. So, Shama, thanks so Thank much you. for joining me. Thanks so much for your wisdom on this. And yeah, um, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. You bet. Have a great day. You too. It was a pleasure having Shama on the program. Let me give you a quick 30-second recap of what I think are the key takeaways you can use and apply to your business right away. First, Make sure that you recognize the changing landscape and that you're being consistent across platforms. You can't have have a different message in digital, in print, and with sales. It all has to be unified. When it comes to frequency, it doesn't matter. It's about quality and making sure that you're customer-centric, meaning how is what you're doing going to impact your customers rather than what does your brand say about you. And finally, make sure that you're always being a student and recognizing that you're constantly evolving to adapt to changing environments. Remember, this show gets its direction from you, the listener. If there's a guest you think I should have on the show, if there's a topic you want me to cover, just drop me a note at ian at ianaltman.com. And thanks so much for subscribing on iTunes and Stitcher and for sharing with your friends and colleagues. It really makes a difference. Have an amazing week, add value, and grow revenue in a way everybody can embrace, even your customer.